This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. I'm Helen Farmer. Fantastic to have you with us on the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Real healthy focus on the show today, both physical and mental, in conversation with consultant dermatologist Dr. Natalia Spearings, answering all of your skincare questions, saving you some money, saving you some time too with a couple of wonder products that you might be surprised by. Nutritionist Rashi Chowdhury was talking hormones and PCOS in men. And it was Dr. Thraya, a clinical psychologist, who joined us, explaining why you could be too nice. Healthy Habits. On Afternoons with Helen Farmer. Here to help for the next hour, we have got Dr. Natalia Spearings, UK-trained, GMC-registered consultant dermatologist, also a fellowship-trained skin cancer surgeon. We love her for the no-nonsense approach. She will tell you, quite honestly, what is possible, what is not possible, where to spend your money, where to save your money, so you don't waste your time and your cash. Dr. Natalia is practising at King's College Hospital. And between here in the UK and how, how long have we got you in Dubai for after this? I'm here for another three weeks after today. And how busy are we? I'm fully booked until I leave, but it's okay because usually we can move people around and things can happen. And also, you can message us now, 4001, if you've (laughs) got any questions. It's probably going to be the easiest way to pick her brains. Now, first of all, massive congratulations on your new book. Thank you. I have a copy in my my hand, Skintelligent, what you really need to know to get great skin. Now, your social media, I find incredibly useful and a genuine reflection of your training and your philosophy around skin. And has this been a kind of an amalgamation of your training and what you've been broadcasting and talking about recently? Pretty much. It's basically answering all the questions I have gotten through Instagram for the past few years that are like the most common asked questions. And I've just put them all into a book so that you can find all the answers in there. There you go. It's out next week on the back. Forget double cleansing, vitamin C serums and eye creams. Looking after your skin is less complicated than you think. Ooh, controversial. Well, given it's <laughs> morning I have double cleansed I did put on a vitamin C serum and I also put eye cream on well now you have to read the book and never do that again I'm going to save myself some money Um, now as I said you are you've been on UK TV you're big on social media and engaged in that scene I feel like there's a huge appetite for information at the moment there's also an awful lot of people claiming to be experts and I'm just curious has anything caught your eye recently we just think well that is just absolute nonsense you should not be allowed to have a social media account to to kind of communicate that controversial I mean, there's you a don't lot need of, to name names. No, 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 no naming names. There's a lot of stuff like that. I think the one that really bugs me is that people say that um, petroleum jelly is unsafe, which is Vaseline. And like, it's the, it's the first moisturizer of all time, moisturizer, and it's in everything you buy. So there is petroleum jelly in everything. So if it was really that unsafe, then it wouldn't be allowed. And like, it's the best a moisturizer ever. So if you have a problem with your skin, wax some Vaseline on there, it'll probably get better. I feel, so. like, I feel like you are the dad from my big fat Greek wedding with the Windex. Yeah. Here you go. Just put this on. But that's my big, like, I just find it so irritating. The amount of DMs I get on a regular basis saying, is petroleum jelly unsafe? And they send me some TikTok video of some, someone talking about Vaseline causing cancer. And it does not. It does not. Oh. We're here to bust a myth this afternoon. Now, something that caught my eye recently was a TikTok video claiming that anti-dandruff shampoo can help with acne. It says it's got a couple of active ingredients. Um, what do you reckon to this? So that I think that's a little bit of a misunderstanding with something people refer to as fungal acne, which is actually not acne. It's uh, a rash due to pitorosporum f- which is a type of yeast on the skin. And so if you use an antifungal for that or anti-yeast, which is what dandruff shampoo really is, because mm-hmm. ketoconazole or whatever it's in there, that's what it is, um, that will help that condition. But it's not an ac- acne vulgaris is a different problem. So I, there's just this, it's just words being misused and kind of misunderstood. 
Talks and Talia Spearings with us this afternoon. We are going to go to the text line next. You can be anonymous if you prefer. We've had a 44-year-old man getting in touch saying basic skincare routine, face wash in the shower, use CeraVe lotion, what else can I do? And Dina's got some unpredictable skin. Plus, we're talking saggy old lady face. What can you... It's not my words. It's not my words. Came in on the text line. What can you do about it? We'll find out next. Healthy Habits. On Afternoons with Helen Farmer. Consultant dermatologist Dr Natalia Spearings. She's practising in Dubai at King's College Hospital and on hand now, taking time out of a very busy schedule to answer my questions, but most importantly yours, with some good no-nonsense advice designed to save you a Durham or a thousand and certainly some time as well so you can you can throw that 14 step korean skincare routine in the bin um alison saying and um, when i had very bad skin problems petroleum jelly was the only thing that helped we're just singing the praises of some cheap Magic. wonder products yeah. let's go to the text line um no name on this message saying i'm getting old lady saggy face aside from surgery which i may consider in a few years how can my skin look smoother and plumper any collagen boosting treatments or supplements dr natalia recommends okay so no supplements so we'll skip that one uh treatments like to um give your skin a bit more glow i would always look at surface first so surface is treating pigmentation and texture and the two things that do that are uh, hydroquinone and tretinoin which is our favorite um cream this this is the the 15 15 dirham wonder cream wonder cream you can just go ask the pharmacist for it it's changed my life yes it's awesome so that's good so then we're looking at texture so pigmentation is actually more aging than wrinkles interesting which is interesting so if you have bad pigmentation from sun exposure or melasma or whatever then that's you kind of need to tackle that so we have definitely great creams for that and then you can look at things like um, hyaluronic acid injections not filler but things like profilo volite and these things are temporary you know temporarily boost the I guess the plumpness, if you will, of the dermis, the second layer of the skin. And that can give you that slightly glowy, lifted look. But without getting into Madonna territory of pillow face. Correct. Yes, because it's not a filler. Yeah. Interesting. It doesn't give volume. Okay. Which is good. Hope that helps. And this, 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 these are things that you administer. For- yes, correct. Yeah, okay. most dermatologists, yeah. Um, hope that helps. Um, we've got a gentleman caller. 44-year-old man here. have a very basic skincare routine, e.g. wash my face in the shower, use CeraVe lotion afterwards. Is there anything else I could or should do as I get older? Yeah, I guess the only thing would be sunscreen, uh, which Helen, you mentioned too. So definitely sunscreen. Um, I would do SPF 50 once daily in the morning, especially if you're driving or, you know, out and about, if you're going out of the car and into the car. So SPF 50 all the way. And I wouldn't add anything else. I mean, most men have great skin and do very little. I know. It's, it's very so annoying. annoying. <laughs> but that's great. Um, I love this question from Nabin saying, looking at making some savings around yeah. the home, what is the difference between baby slash kid and adult products for the bath? face or shower can't we just all use the same yes you can uh there isn't any difference except for the packaging and perhaps the price point adult things tend to be more expensive i think depends uh, yeah. depends i guess yeah i've been stung by some kid stuff i also think a bit of smell in there as well yes like the yeah the the baby products smell the powdery yeah i mean really there is no difference there also isn't a, a massive difference or any difference at all between face and body products that's also a marketing and definitely eye cream and face cream no difference there so that you can basically just use the same product for everything i mean i i do except i use like like fragranced like perfume, fragrance, body moisturizers, which I wouldn't put on my face because yes. it's just, you know, that's weird. I don't like fragrance on my face. Um, but other than that, you could pretty much use like the same E45 everywhere. 
And on every person in the family. Just get a bucket of it. Just a bucket. Just dip everyone in there. (laughs) Hope that helps, Navin. Great question. 4001, if you've got any queries for consultant dermatologist, Dr. Natalia Spearings. Um, We've got questions on vitamin C. We've got questions on blackheads. Um, I want to talk hormones. We are going to be talking about diet and hormones Mm -hmm. after three o'clock today. We've got um, nutritionists in the studio between uh, three and four. But no name on this one saying, it's really getting me down. 35 years old and currently look like a teenager with five spot slash lumps on the right side of my chin. I normally experience a breakout one or two in my monthly cycle. I know it's hormone related. They take forever to fade and I'm totally sick of them. The only time I've been totally clear is during pregnancy and breastfeeding and it feels a bit extreme to do it again for the sake of clear skin. <laughs> well, yes. Yes. I would agree. Um, I'm using La Roche-Posay um, products and have a doctor's appointment this week to request the pill. Yeah. And I think that's the 100% the right thing to do because clearly your hormonal fluctuations are what's causing the problem. And when you're pregnant or breastfeeding, all that kind of goes away. So it's kind of more steady. So I would, the pill would be what I would suggest as a first um, course of action as well. Uh, and then obviously there's more stuff you can do after that, but definitely do that first and see how that goes. Give it at least three months. Right. Let's talk vitamin C. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Controversial. Cassia says, is vitamin C really such a great thing for your skin? And is it suitable for all skin types? So, no, it's it's definitely overhyped and marketed. I have a, there's a whole chapter in my book about vitamin C, actually. That's how big it is of a deal. Um, no, not really. Uh, there's a lot of issues with vitamin C with regards to like how much you actually need on your skin. What does it do in the skin? It actually only works in the dermis as a cofactor for an enzymatic reaction to produce collagen. So it's not the rate limiting step in collagen production. So if we're looking at it from that point of view, it really doesn't do anything anything. Um, and it's not good for everyone. I mean, I have a lot of people who they claim they get breakouts from it. It's irritating, you know, but it's not the vitamin C and it. it's all the other stuff they put in there. So I would, I would avoid spending money on vitamin C unless you really love it. If you really love it, then all right. Okay. Oh, well, that, I think that actually raises an interesting point because for some people, you know, skincare is this, you know, yeah. self-care exactly. buzzword. Mm-hmm. And if you want to spend your money and your time and your energies treating yourself and, you know, pampering, go for it. Exactly. Like I like to buy shoes. I would be upset if someone told me not to. Exactly. So so go for it. But but you might not, there might not be a direct correlation between amount of time and money you spend and the actual results. That's exactly, very well worded. That's totally correct. And so I would, I would not, people get upset that, or they get worried that they're not spending enough money on their skin, that they're not looking after themselves well enough. I'm not buying the right products. What should I do? Like just relax about it. Because actually the less you do, the better, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's, you don't need to spend loads of money on uh, skincare or shoes to be happy you know so. sometimes it does help just helps yeah. I have to say because we're yeah, on radio does. and your shoes are under the desk she's got, she's got great shoes on spend them anywhere you. you want but I think that results thing is actually is actually really important because yeah. there's an awful lot of money to be made by people trying to make you feel like you're not doing enough or you're not looking exactly. in a certain way mm. we are going to stay with you um, on the text line in just a few minutes so if you do have any questions for Dr Natalia Spearings do get in touch she is in Dubai at King's College Hospital for the next three weeks Healthy Habits on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. Talking skin this afternoon, Dr. Natalia Spearings is in the studio. She's a UK-trained GMC-registered consultant dermatologist, also a fellowship-trained skin cancer surgeon. Her brand new book, Skin Intelligent, is out now, and she's here in Dubai at King's College Hospital. Very busy indeed, but back again at the end of December. Are bookings going to be open soon? They are open already. Okay, I would say, guys, get on that. In the meantime, though, you can send any questions for Dr. Natalia over to me on 4001. You can use your AR 
RN Play app and you've got the WhatsApp too. Um, we've had, unsurprisingly, a number of messages asking about the 15 dirham wonder cream. So I do have a message ready, prepared to copy and paste to anyone that wants some information. But can you give us its, give it in a nutshell? So it's called Acretin, A-C-R-E-T-I-N, and it's topical tretinoin, which is the gold standard for anti-aging and also for acne treatment. Um, and you can buy it here over the counter uh, for about 15 dirhams a tube. You just need to ask the pharmacist. It's not on the shelf. You need to go and say, hello, I'd like some of the magic cream, please. <laughs> don't say that. No, don't, don't say that. Just say, Helen Natalia said it. Said it's amazing. <laughs> no, but no, but in, in, in all seriousness, yeah. it's, it's effective for cell renewal, I guess. Correct. Yeah. It's the only thing that has an evidence, a strong evidence base and FDA approval for the treatment of fine lines. So that means it's safe and efficacious for that indication because the FDA is no, d- does not mess around. So, yeah. It's also, as we said, 15 dirhams and this amount <laughs> of, of, of retinol in, 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 I guess, big branded products would cost you a fortune. Oh, and they don't, and that's nowhere near the same because tretinoin is technically a prescription only medicine. So it's not going to show up in your cosmetic products. All those downstream retinol things that people talk about that are in all these cosmetic products, they basically aren't, don't do anything. So don't spend 200 pounds or 800 dirhams or whatever on one of those because you're just, you might as well just spend the 15 qu- dirhams, quid, whatever, 15 dirhams. Where are we? Yeah, where are we? 15, um, always, always in, spend the less yeah, amount. Yeah, always spend the less amount. Um, so yes, if you do want that information, just ask me, just message me saying miracle cream. <laughs> and, and I don't say that lightly. It really has completely changed my skin. No, it's okay. um, But you do, there are some guidelines in terms of applying it. So, you know, starting or starting off slowly three times a week yeah. and you, it is photosensitive. So you need to be using sunscreen, sunscreen the next day. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hope that helps. Okay. Message here. My 13 year old has deep blackheads. What do you recommend? Yeah. So if it's just deep blackheads, like comedones, but not... Um, active acne, then actually, and this is a bit off piece for me, I would say get them extracted, which I know, I always talk about facials being bad things. But in this scenario, this is the only scenario where otherwise they're never going to go. So I don't pick at them yourself, obviously, but definitely get them done professionally. And then you use a topical retinoid like tretinoin or one of the more acne specific ones like adapalene uh, on top of that to maintain that clearance. So if there's no active acne, it's just, com- it's just blackheads, then that would be what I would suggest. So what you're saying is all of those creams and scrubs that say they're blackhead clearing oh, and removing, no, don't, do don't do it? No. Shocking. Okay. okay. Hope that helps. Um, no name saying my kids keep on getting recurring eczema circles on their legs sometimes as big as the palm of my hand. What's the best thing to put on it? So I think the first thing here is what is the actual diagnosis here? Because you can get discoid eczema. So there is a type of eczema that only occurs in circles. Um, But that's not, if it's all your children, then I would be more concerned about them having ringworm which is much more common. And I've actually seen a lot of ringworm in the past few weeks in children related really? to animals. People having, I don't know why people aren't getting pets suddenly, but rabbits, dogs, um, who have all had been diagnosed with fungal infections and then the children all get it as well. So I've been treating a lot of that recently. Weird. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. Okay, Rabbits. So get the correct diagnosis yes. before you start don't, don't put any topical anything. Yeah, don't put any topical steroid on that until you know that you're treating eczema, not ringworm. Because if you put topical steroids on ringworm, it'll make it go crazy. Now, I want to come back to aesthetics, yeah. if you don't mind. No problem. Um, because a big part of your book is, as you say, answering all the very common questions that you get. And I just flicked it through it and it said basically... Does can Botox prevent wrinkles forming? Yay or nay? Yes, and that's be, and it's really kind of if you think about this logically, you create wrinkles on your forehead, for example, by moving your eyebrows up and down. So by crinkling the skin whenever you move your forehead or use your forehead muscle, if you stop using the forehead muscle, you will no longer crinkle the skin, which means you will no longer develop lines. So if you if you do that and are consistent with it and never move your forehead. <laughs> 
then you you will never have lines because you create wrinkles by the movement of muscle, which is why something like neurotoxin or Botox works to stop wrinkles because you don't move the muscle. Here's my thing. Oh, okay. Uh-oh. No, Botox just doesn't last that long on me. So there's a lot of reasons why that can be. So some people just have that. So what, two months? Yeah, about two months. Yeah, so that's not totally abnormal. But usually if you increase your dosage at that at the first as your treatment that probably will last you longer so you probably need a little bit more maybe double what you had okay. and that will probably last you longer yeah i'm just i'm just too expressive <laughs> I just got, got so much to say He's with my face. Much. Exactly. <laughs> but staying with aesthetics, um, Anonymous Match is saying, I want to get dermal fillers, but from what I'm reading, there's always a risk of blindness, even with an experienced doctor. Is this correct? That's correct. So that is the major, besides like the puffy face and stuff and swelling, that is the major, major risk anywhere on the face because it's about occluding the retinal artery, which is the artery that feeds blood to your eyeball. And you have to remember that filler is like a thick substance. So if you mm. inject filler into a blood vessel, it will theoretically go into that artery and can blind you. So, And that can happen anywhere on the face because all the vessels, the vasculature or the blood vessels on your face are all connected. So it can be temple, forehead, under the eyes, n- near the, in the 11s is like in the, between the eyebrows, anywhere on the face, in the nose especially actually, anywhere on the face is high risk for that. Okay. Yeah. So in terms of the checklist of you know qualifications this is not the time to be getting you buy one get one it's not a group on no yeah, it's not a group on so what are you looking for in who's someone who's going to be administering so again experience experience is good but you don't know you can't always tell that one thing i would suggest then is looking for someone who's using a cannula as opposed to a needle because needles are sharp so they can go through blood vessels a cannula is a blunt ended tube so that can't puncture a blood vessel so it's much safer it doesn't to- totally reduce the risk but it reduces it to like 0.001% probability or whatever okay. very low so a cannula and then, I mean, t- t- make sure you're comfortable with the doctor, that they understand what you want, that they take it slowly and so on. And that's going to make you feel better about it. Question here about pigmentation. And you are a real expert when it comes to melasma in, in particular. Message here saying, I've got pigmentation on my face with a dull appearance. The doctor prescribed Triluma cream to be applied an hour a day plus carbon fe- carbon peels. Will this help? So I don't like, to, okay, so the Triluma, Triluma is uh, an FDA approved treatment for melasma. So it is... It's okay. It's not the best, but it's it's good. Um, it can, it can be good. I wouldn't say applied for an hour a day, but I'd appreciate why that's being said because of irritation issues. Triluma is generally not too irritating. So, I mean, talk to your doctor and, and go with the advice your doctor gives you because they know your skin and they've seen you. But usually I wouldn't advise it just applying it one hour. I'd say use it overnight for best results. Um, and then with the carbon peel, that's just a gimmick. I'm so sorry. But like, <laughs> oh my God, like the carbon peel, <laughs> it does nothing. It looks good on Instagram. It looks so cool, but it's totally useless and it's expensive for for being nothing. So I would just skip the carbon peel, just use the Triluma. There you go. Okay really hope that helps. Um, Uzma saying, is there anything as, well, basically, is sensitive skin a thing? No. I have a chapter in my book about this. Uh, So sensitive skin is not actually a defined skin. There's no skin types, but type. So I call it reactive skin. And that's usually due to the overuse of cosmetic skincare. So if you use a lot of vitamin C, niacinamide, azelaic acid, retinol, da da da, da and you put all that on in layers, um, you will almost certainly develop reactive skin because no one's skin can tolerate that. I mean, even the most robust skin shouldn't be laden with products all day long. So, and that's what I see a lot in in females. Uh, they they just have react. They they think they're sensitive, but they're actually just reacting to lots of product. Hope that helps. Dr. Natalia Spearings is with us, consultant dermatologist. She is in Dubai for the next few weeks at King's College Hospital, fully booked, but you can get bookings from December onwards. How long are you going to be in town in December? About seven weeks. Yay. All right. Brilliant. Um, we've had a phone call. Let's uh, 04871 5500. Here, here is Alethea. 
personal issues. I have a lot of facial hair and for that I had gotten done a laser treatment, the hair removal treatment. Uh, my hair growth did not reduce, but I also got acne problem because of that. So what are the precautions I should have taken as well as what can I do now for it so that the scarring from the acne goes as well as it would help me with my facial hair. Oh, that sounds oh, that's terrible. Oh, okay. Um, okay, so I, I'm not a fan of laser for facial hair for many reasons. And one of them is what you just said. Um, it can stimulate acne and so on. So for hair removal, go for electrolysis. That is um, a little bit more painful, but much more effective in the long term. And it should not cause any pimples or acne or problems like that. Now that you have the post-inflammatory pigmentation from the spots, then you need to treat that. And generally, I use the same type of treatment I'd use for melasma. So Triluma is the same idea. Tretinoin, hydroquinone combination cream. That will definitely make that better. Um, and then switching your, your hair removal to something less um, irritating is a good way to go. Okay. Mm. Now, we're not getting any younger. <laughs> No, we're not. <laughs> we're not. Um, and Laura's saying, my skin has changed since the menopause. I definitely look older. Um, what can we be doing to make my skin look less tired and dull? And, it, you know, it's, it happens. You yeah, know, it happens. Th- um, I mean, this is where people always ask me about HRT. Uh, I mean, I'm not a hormone, hormonal doctor, hormone specialist. So I would say talk to your doctor about HRT. No one should really take HRT just for skin, though people do report skin benefits from using it. So because the drop in estrogen does affect the, the kind of the... the the hydration of your skin. So that's true. But with, um, if you're looking tired, I mean, I keep on repeating the same thing. Tretinoin is great for this. Uh, Vaseline is awesome for maintaining hydration overnight. Um, Staying out of the sun, Uh, you know, and maybe like getting more rest because like, that's also going to be a big part of this, which I know is easy for me to say. But. What about water? Because oh. I know, well, I'm just curious. Yeah, no, there's no link between the oral intake of water and skin hydration in normal, healthy people. It's That comes from like ITU scenarios where patients are literally dehydrated, like, mm-hmm. liter- like literally no, not peeing mm-hmm. because they're very unwell. And then we do see changes in skin, but that's extremely acute. So that's the extreme of, of situations. Normal people, I mean, most of us just drink to what our thirst level is yeah. and that's as long as you're you know peeing every now and then you're fine <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Sally Spearings is a consultant dermatologist not a urologist clearly <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, we've had a number of messages asking for your details social media account um, all that good stuff so I will I will let you handle that yeah so my my instagram is at dr natalia spearings uh my name is a little difficult to spell but you can still find it so <laughs> at dr natalia spearings and um i'm at king's college hospital in dubai hills thank you so much thank for you. making time for us this hour no we've run out of time we have absolutely not run out of questions sarah i think has just tuned in saying is expensive vitamin c worth it no there you go thank you summarizing the last hour <laughs> save your money um and if you would like dr natalia's details um just drop me a little message saying i don't know skin doctor please and I will send you your Instagram um, a really fantastic resource for more myth busting and some more no nonsense advice great to have you back in Dubai thank you and we will absolutely catch up with you next time the new book is available now on Amazon Skin Intelligent so all of that good stuff you know what you really need to get great skin saving you some money saving you some time saving you some stress too thank you so much thank you for having me Healthy Habits on Afternoons with Helen Farmer We love introducing you to the experts and joining us now in the studio is Rashi Chaudhry. Nutritionist says food is not calories, food is not fuel, food is literally our way to communicate with our body. I love this. Tell us a little bit around your philosophy on that. I really believe food is not calories. You know, we've studied this while growing up. All the nutritionists who are my age now, we've studied this. 
uh, and we dissected food into carbs and protein and fat and calories. But when you grow up, I think you become more wiser. I think your relationship with yourself improves, mm. and then your relationship, every relationship outside, reflects that, right? So I really believe that people who dissect it too much or care too much about calories, it reflects a lot on the way they feel about themselves. Because think about it: when you are not feeling so good, either you're eating too much, and that's one way you're punishing yourself. You're eating too little. Things like keto, not eating carbs at all, you know, stuff like that. So I genuinely believe it. It starts inward, uh, and then it reflects outward in a way that, like, if you're peaceful, your relationship with with food will also be that. I think that's so interesting. So I think that word peaceful. I think not many people have a peaceful relationship with food. It's it's often fraught. It's highly emotional. And and where is that coming from? That's oh, when do we pick up? Uh, I mean, all of us do it, right? When mm-hmm. do you pick up a burger? When do you have that ice cream? When you're not feeling okay inside, sometimes, of course, we're celebrating and it's you're having a good time and that's cool. Uh, but you need to be mindful enough to understand which emotion are you eating for. Mm-hmm. I think food is nothing but emotions. It's one of the ways we express our emotions. So if you're eating too much, it means something's not okay. If you're eating too little, something's not okay. What about specific cravings? You know, if you're, I mean, I I have sugar craving. I mean, normally around half past three. So just warning, mm. you're on a countdown now. Um, and it's that kind of typical mid-afternoon slump. But I've got friends who might crave like saltier food and just just want to eat bags and bags of crisps. What do those mean? This is so interesting because there's so much I want to say about this. But let me try and um, collect my thoughts on this, right? So I've read some studies and these are not some published studies, but I've read some stuff on, uh, you know, some experiments done. People who crave crunchy a lot generally have a lot of anger issues. They want to crunch on stuff. People who crave a lot of dairy products, they miss comfort. So there are these associations you can make, but these are just associations and they don't mean much, right? But what is what I know for sure is that if you are craving something at 3 p.m., think about what you ate at 12.30. You know, think about what your sleep was like the previous night. Because when we don't sleep well, our brain collects all these toxins, you know, and then the next day, making the right decisions becomes harder. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's got so much to do with sleep and with also stress levels, right? And again, emotional eating is got to do with you're not feeling okay inside. So you need something outside, whether it's food, alcohol, sex, uh, your phone to it's, feel okay. It's interesting because I think a lot of people in the earlier weeks and months of the pandemic where there was so much uncertainty, there was so much stress eating. I was getting through like red licorice laces like you wouldn't believe. And I oh. could... I what are your kids doing when they, oh, they see the, you doing this that? This is all to do with distance learning. They, uh, mm. they, they were asking for snacks constantly as well. But, you know, that sense of uncertainty led to a lot of people, well, eating too much, as you're saying, drinking too much. Um, and it became this, this kind of meme, this trope of, you know, the, the pandemic pounds. We're obviously a lot, a lot less active as well. And we're coming through that now. However, what we were discussing on the show yesterday with a specialist psychiatrist was that we thought burnout would be gone. We thought that when we saw fewer people dying and there was more routine in our lives, and that doesn't seem to be the case. It seems like everyone's still very stressed out. What are you seeing in clinic when it comes to looking at this through food and that kind of holistic sense? So I, I genuinely think if we had to, we were talking about this outside as well right now, if we are able to relax and rest and because our autonomic nervous system cannot be in both, right? It can't be in fight, flight and rest, relax. But when we are in this rest and relax mode, that is when we actually calm down and everything in our body gets better. You know, in fact, the topic that we're talking about today as well, hormones, 
it all starts with the oat axis i don't know are you familiar with the oat axis never heard of that in my life call it the women like we call it the holy trinity you know oat axis is o is your ovaries a is the adrenals and t thyroid these three communicate with each other so everything is in balance now a is the adrenals have you heard of adren- adrenal fatigue yes i may be having an appointment for that no? <laughs> it comes on a stress right because how long will your body handle that extra cortisol mm-hmm. you know and then that cortisol is actually made from progesterone so when i'm going to have too much cortisol in my body eventually progesterone has to come and help in and give me more more cortisol now when progesterone goes down what dominates estrogen dominates and then when you have estrogen dominance that's when we can't lose weight we feel more anxious we have hair fall and when i know this is long and it's a rant but when estrogen dominates that is when our gut takes a hit and we have low levels of free, uh, of active t3 have you heard of active t3 that's mm-hmm. a thyroid hormone so many people these days have hashimotos they don't even know it in fact 80% of people who suffer with hypothyroid actually have hashimotos when there's too much t3 or too less t3 rather there's something called as active t3 that goes up which a lot of doctors don't even test for but this keeps us in the loop of the oat axis so if you want to you know be hormonally healthy you have to start looking at it looking at your hormones from this oat axis perspective rather than just what's up with my progesterone what's up with my estrogen you know right we are going to unpick this further we're looking at men's hormones next cuz you might have heard of PCOS polycystic ovary syndrome but believe it or not chaps you might have an equivalent issue we're exploring that and of course going to the text next so if you do have any questions this is your chance we've had messages about early puberty about um a kind of nutrition packed smoothies as well and elena wants a reliable nutrition app what does rashi recommend we'll find out healthy habits on afternoons with helen farmer we are talking nutrition this afternoon and the impact of what we eat how we feel our hormones a really good point here from Cheryl saying food is about memories it can be a reminder of home or celebration food is very personal as to how you associate with your emotion i think understanding and disengaging if it's bad eating from this is key interesting and joining us in the studio this afternoon is nutritionist and gut expert rashi chadri what's your take on Cheryl's take on food there i love it right think about all the times you've as a child you felt comforted it goes back to food i and sometimes it's care it's you yeah. know I, i know some cultures and some families you know it's food is love if you mm. refuse this you don't love it and that we're not talking about that but it's yeah. i'm thinking about the the love that goes into you know a recipe or caring for somebody yeah. it's really powerful it is and in fact um, i think a lot of um, uh, you know i have started this company a, a while ago and it has it, it was about healthy baked products and things like that and i and i think that goes back to what you know my mom taught me as a child mm-hmm. uh, and i was so i love cakes because of the way she baked them for me and because i wanted healthier versions of it now i do what i do uh, but yeah like so many things are associated with what we learn about food as children yeah you know? memories celebration mm. communication yeah. with others and self let's talk hormones because you got in touch and said male pcos and i went what pcos polycystic ovarian syndrome Men don't have ovaries, Rashi. What are we talking about? <laughs> so let's let's um understand that PCOS, although it's very well researched, a lot of women who don't have a problem with or defect in their ovaries still have PCOS. They have all the symptoms. So number one, PCOS in itself is misunderstood a lot. The medical community is now considering changing the name to MSR, metabolic um. Uh, sorry MRS metabolic reproductive syndrome okay. because they believe that uh, and we know this that 
you know, it's not necessary anymore for you to have extra follicles for you to be ta- tagged or mm-hmm. labeled as PCOS, mm-hmm. PCOS patient. Now, the thing is that with PCOS, there's an upstream of metabolic and endocrine disorder, which is why that's the main reason we get it. Not because of a defect in ovaries. We know this now. So, men and women share some, we have common biological pathways, which make it possible even for men to have it. The way they will show, uh, the way it shows up with, for them is different. And a lot of men listening to this will probably resonate. If you are below 35, if you have AGA, which is early onset of androgenetic alopecia, which is male pattern baldness, I know so many men, all right, who have this, or acne, or hypertrichia, which is excess, excessive amounts of hair anywhere else, then there's a possibility that you are displaying some signs of PCOS. Now, again, PCOS, the name needs to change. <laughs> we'll, park, we'll park that name. Yeah. But So we're talking about hormone imbalance in, in the most simplistic ways. Yes, but the thing is that a lot of the clinical, thing, uh, the cl- uh, clinical um, blood work is very similar. Like LH, FSH will all be off, even in men. Men feel they don't have LH, FSH, they do. Uh, SHBG will be low. SHBG is inter- of interest for, for men because if that's low, even if you have enough testosterone, it's not going to help. So you're going to be stuff- suffering with low libido. You're going to be aging faster. Your testicle size are going to be smaller. You're not going to get good sleep. You're going to struggle with excess weight. So PCOS is now a family affair. So if you have a don't, sister... Don't make me sing. <laughs> but, it, but it could be something that, you know, a man and woman could both be struggling with at the same time quite feasibly. Exactly. And nowadays we now know andropause, mm-hmm. you know, which is uh, male, male menopause. So it's called Adam. Uh, so, so, so PCOS does exist in... Now, the problem is if you don't detect it early and if you don't start doing something about it, these are the men... Again, there are fewer studies on this, but there are studies. These are the men who are predisposed to prostate cancer. Okay. Prostate cancer is the third most common type of cancer in the UAE. So if you detect it earlier, then at 60, you won't be struggling with it, you know. And once detected then, what kind of treatment plan um, would you, as when you're looking at purely food-based, what can be helpful in addressing that balance? So this can be, this is such a broad question, right? But the one thing that I do want to talk about, and because I think it's so important, is making sure your glucose or your blood sugar levels are balanced. That is one way to make sure your insulin is okay. And if your insulin is fine, most of the things will function well. So how do we do that? Simple things. You will have to look at, or rather be mindful of the amount of carbs you're consuming. Fruit is a carbohydrate. I am not saying it's bad. I'm not saying don't have it, but be mindful about it. Just because you think fruit is healthy, it's nature's candy. It is candy. You know, it's going to go into your body, become glucose, and then your body has to process it, your liver has to process it. So the thing is, eat your fruit, eat your carbs, but just be mindful about when you're eating it. I highly recommend a lot of people to start their day with fat first thing in the morning. If they have gap between, they have a gap between the time they wake up and then their breakfast. If there's no gap, then for breakfast, do a high protein and fat breakfast rather than having a cereal, muesli bar, uh, you know, we do a lot of breads and stuff as well. Give me some ideas for what you would like to see on that plate first thing. Ideally, I mean, in Dubai, it's very easy because eggs and avocado are fabulous. If you're vegan, then do a vegan protein shake. If you don't want to have protein shakes, that's cool. You can do a big bowl of sprouts. There are a lot of ways of making sure you're getting your protein and fat first thing in the morning. That sets the pace of the day. If you are going to have that for breakfast, within four or five days, you Firstly, our microbiome starts to change. You know, when you're giving your microbiome a lot of carbs to eat, that's what they thrive on. And then, and of course, the carbs are never, we're never going to have, it's very hard to even find the right sourdough bread here. 
you know a lot of uh, supermarkets do it but they have the worst kind of quality in it if you can do bread and if you like bread please do sourdough because again having gluten first thing in the morning is going to raise your sugar sourdough bread i think most people now know is 97% gluten free if it's got the right ingredients and it doesn't have a massive impact on the blood sugar so yeah have if you really crave carbs then do it in the form of sourdough bread you know with some um, some eggs and avocado as well yeah or a protein shake that's so easy Now we have got lots of messages coming in for you and after half past we will be going to those. Um but if you do want to get in touch, if you want to reach out with any questions, comments on the topic of food or nutrition, we have got Rashi with us through until 4:00 today. You can reach us on 4001. You've got your ARN Play app and you've got the phone line as well. It's 04871 5500. Um we've had a question here from Elena saying, "Can Rashi please recommend a reliable nutrition app?" I've been using my fitness pal but so fed up of the inaccurate information database um and it's not easy to put in your own if you're making recipes happy to pay for accurate time saving data thank you what do you like oh wow so this is look i've been this person <laughs> using apps and realized that this is just not working because my relationship with food is really getting messed up I think um it's important to think about how we think about food because the way we eat is literally the way we live our lives and if we are constantly going to be battling with food and and again segregating it into calories which I'm not saying doesn't help but most of us we are extremists right we love going all the way then we'll be cal- ca- calculating the last calorie you know and that's just not a fun way to live mm-hmm. I think also I think we are all we have data overload I do I don't want to know how little I'm sleeping I don't want to know how much I'm eating because yeah. because I think I because then we lose touch with our bodies I I when I was tracking my sleep I'd wake up and I'd be like oh I feel okay and then I'd check the data and I'd be like well it only says I had 4 hours and 55 minutes so I must be tired yeah. and I wasn't tired yeah. but I let that influence my mood but this is the thing right um I feel when I wake up I know how I've slept. Mm-hmm. It's an instant and that's our communication with our body. Mm-hmm. So I am and maybe this is probably an unpopular uh you know uh, advice or like it's not people love collecting data these days. But I prefer to keep things simple. You know, eat good food, make sure your sugar level is balanced, eat enough good fats, take your basic supplements. You don't have to go crazy. Um think good thoughts <laughs> you know the other day i read something on instagram and i was like it said 80% of your problems will go if, go away if you do two things chew on the right food and chew on the right thoughts we forget about the second part it's so important the communication that we're having with ourselves that conversation is key Ooh, love that. Just got goosebumps. Rashi's with us this afternoon until four o'clock. We're going to go to the text line. So if you do have any questions, um, we're talking about hormones this afternoon. So we have had a couple of questions about trying to conceive, about PCOS as well. This is your chance to get in touch. Healthy habits on afternoons with Helen Farmer. Joining us in the studio now is nutritionist Rashi Chaudhry on hand to take your questions as we talk about food, hormones. balancing how it all comes into play and we've been talking about uh well, hormone balancing for for men and women and I'm curious because you do very regular gut cleanses with clients and I I wondered what kind of relationship you have seen either in yourself or in clients or what studies are showing the relationship between gut health and hormones Rashi Now this is again so gut is we we've recently in the last 10 years everyone's talking about the gut but now 
I think literally everybody's understanding why the gut is so important. Now let's talk about just gut and hormones, right? And again, there are so many correlations here, but let me just talk about one, which is the most common one, estrogen. Everybody knows estrogen, right? Now men and women both have it. Now estrogen, when it comes to uh, women, right? A lot of women struggle with estrogen dominance. Now in our gut, we have lots of different microbiomes. One of one set of which is called estrobilome. Now, estrobilome decides how to metabolize estrogen. So, if my gut does not have enough of estrobilome to help metabolize estrogen, there's going to be either too much or too little. Mm-hmm. And then again, the oat axis gets sort of messed up because if it's too much estrogen, there's too little progesterone. Which is why feeding your gut the right kind of food so that the bacteria get fed. And hence, they turn on and off hormones and switch those uh, uh, genes, in fact, is so important. So taking care of your gut when you're trying to balance your hormones is super important. Tell us about some of the best hormone balancing foods then. Um, I think we should start with fat. Uh, also, you know, we, we talk so much about progesterone, estrogen, all of this. This conversation is not complete without talking about pregnenolone. Pregnenolone is literally, literally the mother of all hormones. And it's a steroid hormone. It's made from fat. So if you're not going to have enough fat, enough good quality fat, the amount of pregnenolone that you produce and then the trickle down effect that happens is going to be affected. So if you are looking to heal your hormones, the first thing is start eating enough ghee, butter, coconut oil, uh, avocados, walnuts, flax seeds. These are all things that actually are very anti-inflammatory. Again, inflammation is a big thing, right? That's one of the reasons that we do land up with all of these problems. Things like PCOS, endometriosis, all of this. So eating the right kind of fat and also, which we were just talking about, getting the right Mm omega-3. You need to have your EPA and DHA and your omega-3. People need to turn that around and they they can actually check it now today. Like, you know, just go to your pantry, pick it up. It should be above 1,000. The EPA needs to be above 1,000. The DHA can be around 500 above, but that's when you will actually start healing your hormones. Just having a random omega-3 is not going to help. Okay, you need I'm, to have I'm an gonna, efficient source. You're going to stand next to me at this computer and we're going to go on iHerb <laughs> when the news is on at the top yeah, let's of the do it. <laughs> Let's okay. do it. Let's go to the text line. Um, a message here saying, my daughter is 16 and has been diagnosed with PCOS. Do I need to test my son for the men's equivalent at what age and what test? I wouldn't be worried about the child, the the, uh, the her son, but for her daughter, if she's 16 and she's struggling, then these are a couple of tests that I would definitely recommend. Uh, LH, FSH, estradiol, which is another form of estrogen. These three need to happen on the second or third day of the period. That's when our ovaries are relaxed. That's when you get the correct reading. And then progesterone needs to happen on between day 19 and 22, ideally 21, but like we sometimes can't get it right, right? Like if you have a 30-day cycle, then between 21 and uh, 19 to 22, that, that's when you check progesterone. Check prolactin anyway. A lot of women these days have high prolactin levels and that again causes anxiety and estrogen dominance and things like that. And it's very hard for people to lose weight. A lot of times that's the only problem. It's pro- prolactin, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think just generally because she's 16, even checking B12, ferritin, do a CBC, a complete blood count, uh, and vitamin D. We're all, we're yeah. all lacking. Vitamin D is now, it's considered a hormone. Mm-hmm. It's really not considered a supplement or a vitamin anymore. Uh, we don't get enough in the sun. So getting the right amount of vitamin D is important. Your level needs to be between 60 and 80. A lot of times we are 30, we're like, oh, it's fine. It's normal. No, it's not. You need to be optimal. <laughs> you know, you can't just be normal. You want to 
thrive, not just survive. Especially with teens when they've got so much on their plate, you know, needing that extra sleep, needing that extra energy. So get get the blood work done. And as you alluded to earlier, you know, PCS is is often used as a bit of an umbrella term by a lot of people who perhaps don't know Sorry, sorry, I'm cutting you off. But male PCOS again is is, um, for men under 35. You know, uh, if that's around that time, you are experiencing AGA, which is uh, adrenal, uh, you know, alopecia. That's when you need to worry about that. That's the early sign. We're going to go to the phone line. Have a listen to this. So I have a 12 year old. He's had a growth spurt. Last night, I noticed he has hair growing out on his chin. He's almost five feet nine. And I have a nine-year-old daughter who is showing signs of reaching puberty. She's uh, see a bit of facial hair. Should I be concerned about both of them? Do I need to take them to a doctor? What do you say on that? I mean, puberty, it's, it's such, there's no such thing as normal, really. You know, when you think about the range for, for boys and girls. Does anything need to be checked or is there anything you can do nutritionally to support uh, there's so much that can be done. Yes, they both need to go to an endocrinologist for sure. Uh, I think early puberty is becoming a problem as well. And, and, and what it does to you physiologically is one thing, but what it does to your self-esteem, oh, how tell me about isolated it. you feel, mm-hmm. you just feel abnormal. Mm-hmm. And, and teenagers are anyway struggling with so much, right? We've all been there. We're already struggling with so much with with that. So this becomes an added extra thing. And then they, they become quiet. Mm-hmm. Kids just become quiet and curl up because they don't know who to speak to. But yes, they definitely need to go to a doctor and figure this out. But what I would love to say is food. Stop giving your kids dairy. A cow is milked when she is pregnant. When, when we are pregnant, what happens? We have so much prolactin, we have so much estrogen in our body. That is going into your child's system. You know, so I, I'm doing this for 13 years now. And I've seen this time and again, that um, kids who have are dependent on dairy, number one, it lights up your opioid receptors, right? You get addicted to it. Get the milk out, see how many withdrawal symptoms they have. Get an avocado or nuts out from their diet. They won't feel a thing. We've got a lot of questions asking for your details. We've run out of time, Rashi. But okay. um, um, message here saying, um, are you on Instagram? Yes, you are. Yeah. So is that probably the easiest way to get in touch with you? That that one or my website? It's uh, at the rate Rashi Chaudhary dot. I mean, it's rashichaudhary.com. That's my website. And my handle is at the rate R-A-S-H-I Chaudhary C-H-O-W-D-H-A-R-Y. There you go. Rishi, Layla, um, S as well, all been in touch asking for your details. Thank you so much for your time today. Really do appreciate it. And as I said, you are doing um, an awful lot on social media in terms of educating and re-educating. So well worth a follow. And if you would like Rashi's details, drop me a little message and say, I don't know, let's uh, say nutrition queen, please. And oh, I will, wow. <laughs> and I'll, I'll send you here Instagram. Thank you so much, Rashi. Really do appreciate it. Healthy habits on afternoons with Helen Farmer. I just want to start off by saying there is nothing wrong with being nice, helping friends, supporting family, finding ways just to get along with people is a beautiful thing. We should be giving way to people on the road. We should be holding doors open and saying thank you when people do it for us. But it is possible perhaps to be too nice and it can come with a whole list of negative side effects. Now, I think I'm generally a nice person. Um, (laughs) But if you're worried that you are perhaps getting into doormat territory, then do get in touch. We're talking with Dr. Thryer about boundaries, about not being taken advantage of. Um, And according to one couple who appeared on a US court show, being a nice husband didn't bode well with his wife. There was nothing wrong, nothing. You know, everything was normal at my house. 
Mr. Lucas says you had a great relationship. Yes, we had a wonderful relationship. Why don't you tell me what was wonderful about it? We were like best friends. I believe, you know, he's my soulmate. Everything was fine except he was too nice. How does one be too nice to one's wife? <laughs> he was too nice like it was scary nice. No. Women. We want the nice guys. Do not discourage this behavior. Dr. Thryer, I also want to find out about our perceptions around niceties um, in men and women. (laughs) How are you this afternoon? I'm well. How are you? I'm really well, thanks. I'm having a great week. Really enjoying the show this afternoon. Lots of lovely people listening and messaging and uh, a lot of people got questions for you about kindness, niceness, making sure we're not being taken advantage of. Is this something that you've seen coming into clinic? People worried about feeling compromised in this sense? Well, interestingly enough, a lot of people don't really recognize that they're being overly nice and that they're allowing people to take advantage of them until they start to experience bouts of anger and resentment and sometimes extreme frustration or lashing out. So it's really interesting to see how, unfortunately, we get to a place of... Um, negativity towards ourselves before we really realize how much we're overextending who we are to other people without recognizing what we actually need. Well, that's, it's an interesting question, actually, in terms of expectations of others. If you if you are a good, decent person, I think a lot of us have, have hopes that other people would behave in that way as well. And when we're, when there's a gap between expectation and reality, we can be left feeling despondent or as you said they're kind of even even angry for sure you know it's it's really difficult because we grow up with watching these amazing disney movies or like hollywood movies where you know people are nice and they're kind and, and you know they reciprocate and so on and so forth but the reality of the of the fact is that so many people are different and we grow up in different ways and different cultures, different ethnicities, different societies and different upbringings. And so essentially not everybody thinks and feels and behaves like we do. And so when we have those expectations, we can be let down quite a bit when we allow people to enter our world without actually giving them the space to uh, for you and for them to learn more about you and for you to learn more about them. When thinking about kind of the good, decent people of the world. My mind immediately then went to my dad, who is just the kindest soul you can imagine. He's spending today um, donating logs to the log bank in the UK because a lot of people are having some, some energy cost of living problems over there. He is the man that has, you know, driven homeless people to the shelter to buy them soup. He's always, he's just always, he, and and I'll be honest, his expectations, I think, are sometimes quite unrealistic, even of me. You know, he'll be the one saying, oh, Helen, you know, this woman I know, her son's moving to Dubai. Could you have a coffee with him? Could you, you know, could you email him about this? And could you send over a list of hotels for so-and-so? Because her son, the guy from the dentist is coming to Dubai and I said you'd help. And I'm like, oh, dad, you're so nice, but not every everybody not everybody is that way and it makes me want to protect him it makes me want to be like Mm. please please just you know (laughs) does that make sense it does and you know it's really kind of your dad to do the things that he's doing the 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 thing is it's not 
a negative thing to be kind know, and to extend course. yourself to people. But we're talking about the sense of so much kindness and this overextension so much mm. so that you're you're losing yourself and you're forgetting your own needs and you're forgetting that there are things that you also require from other people. So if you have the opportunity to ask for those needs and get receive those needs and still give a lot do so. That's amazing. But what we're referring to by being overly nice is this idea of you're you're doing so much that you no longer exist. To your detriment. So let's talk about right. some of the, I guess, telltale signs that you might be compromising yourself. Hmm. What are some of the things you could be looking out for? I mean, initially, mine certainly goes to your own needs are never being met because you're already worrying about other people's. Mm-hmm, for sure. So your own needs aren't being met. It's, it's quite big when you notice people that avoid conflict altogether. So there's something that they would like to say, but they stop themselves from saying, or they feel extremely uncomfortable in a specific situation, but they can't speak up. So this is another telltale sign. Also prioritizing people over yourself, this need to, to kind of give and give and give and always feel like you're not doing enough. Mm. So that's extremely important. You can tell, and I can see that in so many people, the, the over, I would say the over feeling of guilt, just over, uh, like feeling like what you're doing isn't enough, like feeling guilty for not giving back. If somebody doesn't like something that you say or somebody doesn't like what you're what you're asking for, that guilty feeling, the feeling of being ashamed, um, carrying on way too many responsibilities, mm-hmm. holding responsibilities that are not your own. A lot of people will come to me and say, you know, um, I made this person feel sad or I hurt this person by saying X, Y, and Z. And then when you, you kind of dig in and you explore, it's like the person didn't actually say anything that was disrespectful or, or any of that sort. Instead, that person just interpreted it in their own way. And so What's happening is that a lot of people are holding on to this massive responsibility to make sure that everybody around them is okay. And that can't be one person's responsibility. Everybody has to kind of be responsible for their own feelings, for their own thoughts and their own behaviors. And by doing so, we allow for space for everyone to coexist rather than, you know, have one person kind of carry everybody else around Mm -hmm. them. An um, interesting question here from Bettina saying, how about um, feeling resentful after I, after I agree to things? For sure. Feeling resentful can be a very big telltale sign that you're overextending because essentially what you want to say is no, but you're either avoiding saying no or you're not setting proper boundaries. You're not expressing your needs. And then after all, you get resentful. And here's what's really interesting. It's that it's not anybody else's responsibility to accommodate for you if you're not sharing your, what you need. Absolutely. So people aren't telepathic. They're not going to magically know what you need from them. So we tend to get frustrated and, and angry at other people where in reality we're frustrated and angry at ourselves for not speaking up. Dr. Therai is with us this afternoon, clinical psychologist from the Human Relations Institute in Clinic. We're talking about overextension of yourself, too nice, saying yes to too much. We're going to get the text line next, um, a number of messages, questions, clarity needed. Um, and I'm curious, what are some of the main reasons people feel the need to always be nice? Where does that people-pleasing need come from? Healthy Habits. On Afternoons with Helen Farmer. Are you too nice? Are you being taken advantage of? Are you 
a non-stop people-pleasing machine. Dr. Thryer, clinical psychologist from the Human Relations Institute and Clinic, is here to help. Um, Thryer, we've had a number of messages on this topic, people asking for a bit of clarity, people asking for some insights on their own specific situations as well. Um, Faraz, um, by the way, you can include your name if you prefer. Um, Faraz saying, I was well into my 20s before I realised how being labelled nice had become something of a prison. I had to learn there was a healthy way to be nice and still have your wishes respected. But I did notice when I first began to make this change, others in my life didn't like it. We are going to be talking about boundaries. And I'm curious, though, before we start talking about the, the dealing with, I'd like to establish the where does this come from? You know, what do we know about the main reasons some people always feel the need to be nice to the detriment of their own time, their own emotions, their own wishes, as far as put it there? You know, where do where does that come from? Well, I mean, not to sound cliche as a psychologist, but really from our childhood. So essentially, um, a lot of the times when when a child doesn't receive the love and the care uh, that they deserve as children, they develop coping strategies and uh, coping mechanisms well into their adulthood where they start to people please because they want to be like, they want to feel like they belong. So if they're criticized and judged or invalidated or minimized, and not just them as people, but even their emotions, when their emotions, their needs, when the, when the things that they express to their family members are completely ignored or even neglected, what ends up happening is that the child learns that, you know what, I don't matter. And there's this sense of inadequacy um, and, and the source of like, I need this external validation from somewhere. And so that's what they, they, they use moving forward. They, they try their best to get external validation from people around them by being liked. But what they don't realize is that actually they're not being liked. Because when you can't and you don't introduce yourself to people by being authentic and genuine, people don't really know who you are. Mm -hmm. So when you're a people pleaser, all they're seeing is a side of you that doesn't really exist. This is just your coping mechanism. And so when people pleasers tend to be liked and loved and feel a sense of belonging, it's very fake and fleeting because essentially people are going to end up either leaving or using them and they're going to feel disappointed and sad and hurt by it. And that'll just feed more into this idea of I'm inadequate, I'm unworthy, I'm unlovable. Let's go to the text line on on that very topic, saying, I would like some tips, recommendations um, for dealing uh, with dealing in, with life as someone, as a people pleaser. I live every day worrying about what others think. I'm even scared to post on social media because I'm scared of judgment. And I feel like every day I've done something wrong and feel guilty. I know why I feel this way and it comes from trauma, but I need to put into practice, start living my life fully and not on autopilot for other people. Well, I think that's an amazing message and thank you for sharing that. Thraya, what would you say to this listener? Well, the first thing I'd say is make sure to get the book Set Boundaries, Find Peace by, I think it's Nedra Glover Tawab. And that book is phenomenal. It's a very easy read, step-by-step guide to understanding boundaries, understanding why we don't have them, what boundaries look like how to set boundaries with family members, with friends, with yourself, with colleagues, with bosses. It's a phenomenal book. It's actually one of my most recommended books to mo- to most of my clients, to be honest. And I would say it's a book that everybody should read. We will be talking about putting boundaries in place after half past. If this is something that you need some help with, do get in touch. We've had an anonymous message here saying, over the years, my husband tends to have his way in 
everything, movies, holiday destinations, um, music. How can I make him understand? So a bit a bit of assertiveness training we're going to be coming to as well. Um, so please don't hesitate to get in touch. As I said, Dr. Thry with us through until five o'clock for your psychology hour as we talk about the dangers of being too nice. And again, to reiterate, I'm not I'm not saying don't be kind, don't be nice, but please don't do it to the detriment of you and as Thraya is saying, have a have a have a look at why you might be behaving in a certain way and who that might be for. Healthy habits. On afternoons with Helen Farmer. Is there such a thing as being too nice? That dreaded doormat phrase. Joining us live to answer my questions and yours about some of the negatives of niceties is Dr. Thraya, clinical psychologist at the Human Relations Institute and Clinic. We've been talking about some of the telltale signs. How do you know that you are overextending? You're being taken advantage of. People are using you for your kindness. So saying sorry all the time, your own needs are not met. You sometimes feel resentful after saying yes. Maybe you're constantly swamped at work and carrying far too many responsibilities. If you've got any questions or concerns in this, please don't hesitate to get in touch. We're going to be talking about some of the strategies that you can use. Dr. Thryer, um, a couple of anonymous messages on the text line that I'd like to turn to. One saying, over the years, my husband needs to have his own way in everything. Movies, holiday destinations, music, everything. How can I make him understand? I don't, there's no, there's a dot, dot, dot there. I don't know if it means help him understand that, you know, her views are just as valid or that he's being unreasonable, but it sounds like resentment is building in this relationship. Well, one of the things that I think I want to highlight first and foremost is that we can't make anyone do or feel or think anything. So that is their responsibility to hold and not yours to carry. So that's extremely important. But what you can do is assist in that. And that requires opening up and sharing, discussing your needs. And this means I need you to allow me to make decisions on what movie we're watching tonight. I need you to allow me to make a decision on where we're traveling. These kinds of things, this open line of communication is extremely important when you're trying to set boundaries, but also when you're trying to assert yourself. Because boundaries are not about saying no to people. Boundaries are about understanding and respecting that you exist just as much as the other person in your life does. Mm -hmm. So it's about mutual respect rather than a me over you or you over me. It's me and you together. I think that's a really important distinction. And, you know, we think about boundaries being like walls and that's to keep people out. It's not boundaries can be where two people meet. And, Absolutely. you know, where expectations meet. And as you as you said earlier, you know, we're not mind readers. <laughs> you know, someone's someone it's natural for humans want to take the last you know, path, of, path of least resistance. You know, of course, I think most people would be like, yeah, happy days. I want to choose everything upon, upon my terms. But that assertiveness piece is really, really important because being quietly resentful isn't necessarily going to get what you need. So let's talk about other ways we can stand up for ourselves, create those boundaries without feeling guilty, whether that is in relationships or in work. Can you explain some of the ways that you might coach someone in the couch in your clinic who might be struggling in this area? Well, one of the things I say you first have to do is understand what your value system is. So essentially, when you say to yourself that I value, let's say, respect. So when I value respect, I give respect regardless what happens to me. So if somebody's yelling at me, then I am going to continue to respect myself and the other person while setting a strict boundary. So understanding your value system gives you a bit of a guideline and a roadmap into how and what you need to do in in order to, to assert your boundaries. 
boundaries again are not about saying no it's not about like no i don't want to do this or no i don't want to do that that's setting up walls on the contrary boundaries are about communicating your needs to the other person communicating what you like and what you don't like in a respectful manner so that the other person has the opportunity to hear what you're saying and that's so important because the tendency for us to to get really angry and resentful and then start yelling and screaming at the other person and saying, I need you to do this and you're not doing this for me and you're not doing that for me. Nobody's listening when you're yelling at them. First of all, because we're adults and we don't like being yelled at and it's very disrespectful to do that. And second of all, when you have that much emotion coming at you, you're completely shutting down because it's like, no, I'm not going to listen to this. This I can't take this seriously when you're being so unregulated or dysregulated. So, when you're trying to to set a boundary, when you're trying to communicate to someone, you need to first learn how to identify what your values are, identify how to self-regulate emotionally. So keep yourself as calm as possible. If you find yourself being very activated, take a minute, express to them, listen, I'm not feeling so great right now. Give me about five minutes. I'm just going to go take a break and come back so I can express myself in a, in a, in a much more fruitful manner. And then discuss needs without pointing fingers at the person, without saying you did this and you did that. It's just more a matter of I need this. I feel like this. So it's important to be able to to have that open line. So you're creating proper information for the for the other person to have so they can then show you what they're going to do with it. And some people are not going to like your boundaries and some people are going to resist. As with physics, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So, so the people that are going, to, um, are going to respect your boundaries are the people that you want to continue keeping in your life, the, the people who aren't going to respect your boundaries. And I don't mean off the bat, right? You have to also give people time to adjust to your change as well. But when, eventually, if people start to respect it, amazing, keep them in your life. If people keep pushing back and pushing back and pushing back and are not respecting your boundaries, you need to then ask yourself, why am I still keeping this person in my life? We've had a couple of messages asking about the book you recommended. Um, I have I have found it. It was the instant New York Times bestseller. It's called Set Boundaries, Find Peace by Nedrek Lover Taweb. Um, if you want the link for that, just drop me a little message saying book, please, and I'll, I'll send you over uh, Nedra's website. And we've had another relationship question here, Dr. Thryer, anonymous. And as I always say, whether it is medical, psychological, legal, you can always leave your name off a message if that is your obstacle to getting some advice or sharing your story on this platform. Anonymous saying, I've had trust issues in relationships most of my adult life due to a traumatic experience with an ex-boyfriend. My current boyfriend is great in everything except him lying sometimes and deleting texts he sends to other girls. My red flag alert is on. I'm seriously doubting if I should continue in this relationship. His response is always defensive, meaning I push him to do this because I don't trust him, which is a contributing factor, but not the whole story. I need to know how to move forward. Am I being too nice letting things slide? Oof, that's a complicated question to answer like this. Um, what I can say from the information that was given is that your boyfriend can't say you made him do anything because as I started off this whole talk with, like nobody makes you do or feel anything. Those are things that each person has to hold and take accountability for. So he's behaving this way. He could have spoken to you. And if he did, then that's something that you need to take responsibility for that you haven't worked on yourself. Essentially, though, if he is deleting messages with 
other females and he is hiding his phone, these are red flags. And it, there, there seems to be some form of, of um, betrayal and hiding and, and keeping things away from each other that, that isn't going to be conducive for a healthy relationship. That being said, um, I think it's important to kind of look at all the different factors within that relationship before you can make a final decision. However, the behavior that's coming from your boyfriend is not conducive to helping this relationship move forward, mm -hmm. as well as the trust issues that you are kind of um, punishing your current boyfriend for your past boyfriend's mistakes is also not conducive for moving this relationship forward. Thank you for that. And truly wishing you all the very best. Um, big, big message to send. And I, I think it's sometimes really hard to have these conversations with ourselves, never mind other people. But hopefully that's offered you a little bit of clarity there. Um, Dan on the text line saying, I like it when people have boundaries. That way I don't worry if they're overgiving or lying to be nice. I want people to be genuine with me. And Jess, as Oprah Winfrey once said, if you betray yourself, you are no different from the people who hurt you. And I felt that. Um, had a number of people asking for the book. Um, as I said, if you just send a message saying book, please, I'll send you the link to what Dr. Thraya calls one of her most recommended titles. Dr. Thraya, if this has hit a bit of a chord with anyone, they're looking to explore this a bit further. Um, you are there at the uh, Human Relations Institute and Clinic. Wishing you a wonderful week ahead. Thank you so much, Dr. T. Thank you, Helen. Take care. Take care now. Dr. Thraya there speaking to us, clinical psychologist, and it's your psychology hour every Tuesday afternoon from two o'clock. If there's any topics you'd like us to address, please do get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. We want to be talking about what you are talking about here on Dubai Eye 103.8. And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get it direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.